We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Desmond, silly season has arrived. They are finally here. What are you talking about, man? Political ads. Political ads, they have been coming in hot and fast since Labor Day. That's true. You got to admit, some of them are kind of interesting, though. Justin Trudeau. He's just not ready. Thomas Mulcair. He's been at it for a while. Stephen Harper. We've had a lot of complaints. Tom Mulcair's ready. He's just not ready. And Mulcair promises more cuts. Promising one thing and then doing the opposite. Nice hair, though. Nice hair, though. This is just so corny. This is so bad. Andre, I think we got to acknowledge something. You and I make a politics podcast. Most people don't, so these ads are not for us. They're for people who are trying to make up their minds, who maybe don't pay attention every day. And these parties are spending a lot of time and money on these ads. Okay, fine, I get that. So I suppose what that means is that we are going to have to start talking about these ads. We're going to listen to a few of them. We're going to laugh at them for sure. And let's actually start to dissect what goes into making a political ads. What considerations? Absolutely. And luckily, we're going to have two really excellent guests from each side of the country to help us navigate who are the targets of these ads and how they actually get people to do what the parties want them to do. I'm Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by Halifax-based performer and songwriter Ben Kaplan. Ben's new album, Birds with Broken Wings, is being released in Canada this week on September the 18th. Backed by his band, The Casual Smokers, Ben Kaplan is on tour right now playing shows across Canada and the U.S. We asked Ben why he'd want to sponsor a podcast in order to spread the word about his tour. Because I think that the work that you guys are doing in terms of spreading political awareness of the Canadian political system and encouraging political engagement is really important. And I had to get my own message out, so why not support you guys while uh, spreading the word for my thing too? Ben, what would you like people to know about your music? This is an album that people who are into politics are going to enjoy. It's not overtly political, but it certainly wrestles with a lot of political themes and a lot of issues about contemporary Canadian society. <laughs> that and some love songs. You can find all his tour dates at benkaplan.ca forward slash tour and find the new album on iTunes or anywhere you like to buy music. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. 
And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. All right, everyone. We wanted to take just a few moments to tell you that we are in the midst of our big collective Canada Land Pledge Drive. And I hope you guys know, maybe you do not realize this, but Commons, this show, is funded from the Canada Land Patreon campaign. So when you contribute to Canada Land Patreon, that's how you make sure that this show sticks around and that it grows. Anything, anything that you can do helps us out. If it's a dollar a month, if it's $5 a month, whatever you are able to give, that really helps us please go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. When you get there, you will find out about some great incentives that you can get for donating and some opportunities to fund new CanadaLand programming. Once again, patreon.com slash CanadaLand. We love you guys. We need you. Please support this program and others on the CanadaLand network. Today, we're joined by Scott Matthews. He's an associate professor of political science at Memorial University in Newfoundland. We actually found somebody from Newfoundland. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Uh, I'm glad to. We're also joined today by Jen Gerson in Calgary. Jen is a Shortcuts regular for when Jesse wants to talk about politics on Canada land. And she is a digital editor at the National Post. Welcome, Jen. Thanks. I also think I'm particularly valuable when Jesse wants someone to yell at him. So let's get into this topic of political advertising. And to start off, Jen, I think I'll go to you because you have some interesting ideas about who these kind of ads target. Do you really think that we're the right people to even be judging these kinds of political ads and how effective they are? No, I think that if you're downloading this podcast, you are a terrible target audience for this ad. And to explain why, I have to tell you the story of my grandmother, who is like this absolutely tiny, formidable ball buster of a woman. And she was just a diehard, lifelong liberal, always voted liberal without exception. Well, no, there was one exception, that Ignatieff fellow. And I'm like, well, why, why Nanny? Why didn't you vote for Ignatieff? And she pauses and she says, he was a phony. He didn't come back for us. And that was the moment when I realized what an attack ad was and how it worked. Because my grandmother probably couldn't identify where she got that idea. But you will remember the conservative attack ads against Ignatieff was, he didn't come back for you, right? And when it first came out, everybody laughed at it. Like All the people like us, we we were all like, that's ridiculous. And yet what happened was it got repeated so often throughout the culture that it stuck into people's heads like syphilis. It covered their brains and it and it, it changed the way they perceived the entire race and it changed the way they perceived the candidates. To the extent that my grandmother can parrot that ad years later without even realizing that she's parroting the ad. And that's what makes these things so evil and so pernicious. And it's also why we who are very politically engaged can't necessarily gauge whether or not a political ad is going to work because those ads aren't targeting us. Those ads are trying to worm their way into the brains of my grandmother. On the other hand, there there are some things that are... It's quite significant about that case. So, yes, it was repeated a lot and it did kind of get into people's minds this notion that, you know, he didn't come back for you. But one of the reasons that was so effective was that people didn't have really strong ideas about Ignatieff to begin with. So it's not like he was a well-formed kind of entity in our politics. I mean, if he had been, then these ads, which appeared really early, well before the campaign, that message 
that the conservatives put out there, it wouldn't have been nearly so effective. Um, so I think that's part of it there. The other part of it is, and, and here's where I disagree with Jen, is it, it it clearly wasn't so ridiculous. He really didn't come back for us. He left immediately after. And and I mean, of course, that's after the fact that makes, you know, that's not really a, a fair way of making the argument. But there are a lot of things in his, in his biography that actually fit with that understanding of what he was about. One of the reasons that negative ad, so to speak, could work is that it it actually wasn't totally absurd. But but that's uh, but that's the art of them, right? Like like that's the art of trying to find the message that's going to sit stick in people's heads like that. You can't just create a negative attack ad based on nothing. To make these ads really effective and powerful, you have to find the grain of truth that then you can like then polish up before you spread it out into the world like a little bacteria, right? That that's what I think what makes the the Justin Trudeau he's not ready ad so effective because it yeah. plays on on an element of truth or it plays on an element of insecurity about him as a, as a leader and then polishes it up makes it seem like not really that mean but just mean enough to get people's attention and then it was spread out into the world like it was carpet bombed when it, people come down into the voting booth and they're going to be like yeah justin like him, nice guy. Don't know if he's ready. Just to, to get back to uh, a point that you brought up, uh, Jen. So you, you mentioned that the idea of Justin Trudeau being not ready stuck in a lot of people's heads. My grandmother is also a lifelong liberal voter. This is the, we actually need to have our grandmothers on the show. Hello? Mommy? Yes? So have you seen all the advertisements? Yes. I think Trudeau have a good point. He is ready. So you saw the I'm ready video? Yes, I do. I watch him all the time. <laughs> okay. And so did you see the conservative one? The conservative one. They're wrong. Because Trudeau was born a politician. He was raised a politician. He was bred as a politician. And he is ready for a politician. Okay. So you think that he should be the next Prime Minister of Canada? Yes. And did any of the advertisements influence your opinion? Trudeau one influenced me. And my mind is made up and it won't change. Well, thank you very much for your opinion. Okay, then. Take it easy. Love you. Love you, too. So, uh, Scott, people say that they don't like negative campaign ads. They hate the part of the campaign season where it starts getting dirty and people are slinging mud and so forth. But my question is, which one ends up being more effective? Is it the positive ads or the negative ads? The evidence on this is sort of mixed. When talking about negative ads, I think it's really important to distinguish between the kind of mudslinging ad where it's kind of personal attacks that don't actually have a lot of content that we would see as really relevant to the decision versus, you know, critique, policy critique. Sometimes in, in this country anyway, we've talked about negative ads and they've really just been ads where people have been talking about the policy positions of the other contenders in the race. And I think the evidence on those kinds of ads suggests that, well, actually, these can sometimes be mobilizing People can actually learn from those sorts of ads. The mudslinging sort of ad, that actually can have quite a pernicious or negative effect in terms of demobilizing people, putting people off, making them more cynical about politics. I think that that finding is clearest that when, when ads are really seem to be really you know base and cheap and bringing in things that are quite irrelevant and personal, um, it does tend to put people off of politics. 
I would divide it differently, though. I wouldn't say which are better, negative or positive ads, because I, I, I don't actually think that ads always fall into those two categories that neatly. I would say there are effective and there are ineffective ads. And, you know, I mean, if we were to look at some of the negative ads that have come out of Canadian politics in the, in the recent past, I think we would find a lot of examples of negative advertising that horrendously backfired. I'm thinking of the one making fun of Jean Chrétien's Lisp. I mean, I think it's possible when you're dealing with negative advertising that if you go too far, it goes off a cliff. The media plays a big part here, and the Chrétien ad is a perfect example because it didn't actually air. It was something that became a story in the media. And of course it, you know, there were lots of things that were contemptible about that. And, and so it produced a lot of negative coverage. And I think a lot of advertising is like that. And, and I think one of the ways that it can be effective is that it gets people talking and puts a message out there. So with like the, he's not ready, you know, it's enough that the media has been talking about that, just raising it as a question. When I look at the, the Just Not Ready ads, I'm not looking at what people have said about the Just Not Ready ads. I've heard the Just Not Ready ads on every radio program I've listened to. They're all over television. There is a heavy, heavy ad buy to get those ads under voters' eyeballs. If you are sitting here listening to this podcast, listening to commentary about the negativity of these ads, chances are you are not the target audience and you never have been. Okay, I, I want to just jump in here because luckily... We don't just have to talk about ads on this program. We can actually play some of them. We've been talking a lot about negative ads, but I actually want to start with a positive ad made by the Conservative Party of Canada. And it's a bunch of, you know, what I would call regular folks standing around in front of the camera being asked about Stephen Harper. And this is what they think of the Conservative leader. Have a listen to this. Of course I worry about the economy. We came out of the last recession faster and stronger than other countries. That was no accident. That was leadership. The question is, who will provide that leadership again? Justin's promising to run deficits. Deficits. He says deficits are good. He's just not ready. The NDP, they can't manage money. And they don't understand that business creates jobs. Stephen Harper isn't perfect. But when it comes to the economy, we can depend on him. See, I, part of the reason I love that ad is because it condenses everything so well in the ad saying, yep, the conservatives are great and we are like economic stewards and the liberals and the NDP, they either want to run deficits or just run the country into the ground. So it's mixing negative campaigning with positive campaigning and yet it still works. Overall, what do you think about that ad for the Conservative Party? Do you think it's effective or not? I think what, I, what I'd want to say is interesting about that ad is that it is raising a consideration that is not clearly a good one for the Conservatives. That is to say, the economy. I mean, not, one can imagine this ad having been produced months ago before they thought they might be running against their economic record to some extent, a kind of standard bit of campaign strategy or strategic wisdom is that you ought not to talk about those considerations that might actually be losing issues for you. And so it's interesting that the conservatives are talking about the economy, but even if it's in this kind of subtle way that, well, you know, perhaps we have uh, stormy waters ahead, but you want someone with a firm hand on the tiller and all this kind of stuff. But it's still making the economy the ballot question. And given that not everybody agrees that he's had such a great economic record, I think it's it's kind of interesting to do because there are other messages they could emphasize. Security, that's a much stronger one for them. Uh, for instance, if they can focus Canadians on that issue as the prime minister has been doing this weekend uh, a little bit with the 9-11 anniversary, I think that that's clearly better for them than, than the economy. 
And Jen, you come in on this because something that struck me a lot watching that ad is that Stephen Harper is described as, you know, well, he's not perfect. They gave him kind of what I call the Rob Ford treatment. Like, are you perfect? You're not perfect. No one is perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I think they're trying to do with four things with this ad. One, that is a ballot box question ad. And and I think maybe we should explain a little bit of what a ballot box question is. The ballot box question is what these campaigns are trying to create in the voter's mind when the voter is actually in the booth deciding who they're going to vote for. Picture this. So you're in the booth and you're like, all right, who am I going to vote for? That's your first question. Your second question is, why am I going to vote for them? What, what's, what's the overriding concern that I have in my brain as I'm making this, this check marks? So every single campaign is fighting to frame the ballot box question. They're fighting to have control over what you're thinking about the moment that you check that box. The conservatives are trying to make the ballot box question about uh, economic management and economic stewardship. They want you thinking about who is actually best equipped to manage the economy going forward, coming out of this recession. So what they're doing here is it's a bit also a bit of a contrast ad. You notice they mention Justin Trudeau by name, but they don't mention Thomas Mulcair by name. They say Justin Trudeau is not ready, which builds on the previous meme that they've already seated in the, in the electorate. But they don't mention Thomas Mulcair because they haven't actually done a very good job of framing Thomas Mulcair. They're in fact relying on the idea that most Canadians don't trust the NDP to run the economy, which is why they frame that. And then they do a third thing with this ad. They say, Stephen Harper's not perfect. That's an inoculation. That's them saying, well, yeah, of course, Stephen Harper's made mistakes. Of course, there are things you could criticize Stephen Harper about. But those aren't the issues that you care about. You don't really care about the Duffy trial. You don't really care about ethics questions. You really care about who's going to manage the economy best. Now, whether or not the conservatives have managed the economy the best in the last 10 years or not is a totally fair debate. However, they get the opportunity as incumbents to spin this both ways. If the economy were doing really, really well, they could say, continue to vote for the party that's going to you know, conti- have the, the economy continue to do very well. But if the economy isn't doing well, they can say, well, yeah, the economy's not doing well, but would you rather have those guys running the, the economy in the middle of a downturn? They actually get to play the economy card, whether or not the economy is doing well or poorly. I actually would grade this as being an effective ad, and I would expect that that ad is going to roll out, or that those types of messages are going to be heard more and more and more in the, in the last weeks of the campaign. My guess is that the big ad spends are probably going to come in the last two weeks. There was a, a, an ad that came out from the Liberals um, a little while ago, and it's called the, the Escalator ad. So it's the uh, the Liberals sort of coming back from all the conservative negativity to talk about how, well, let's just go ahead and listen to the, uh, the ad. This is what's happening to millions of Canadians in 10 years under Stephen Harper. His ideas to give benefits to the wealthy but make cuts to everything else has made it harder for most people to get ahead. And Mulcair promises more cuts. Now is not the time for cuts. In my plan, we'll kickstart the economy by investing in jobs and growth and lowering taxes for our middle class. That's real change. So in the ad, he's walking the wrong way on an escalator. The escalator is moving down and Trudeau is walking up this escalator, which is just keeping him in the exact same place. Right. Um, So one of the things I thought was interesting about the ad, though, is that it does make uh, Trudeau uh, look a little bit silly. Politicians are always trying to avoid pictures of themselves that make them appear to be doing things that are kind of foolish or unbecoming. And walking up an escalator backwards is is one of those things. And I mean, I, I get the metaphor, but I, one of the things I find interesting, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that smart asses uh, other than me will uh, take that away from the ad, but uh, I'm just suggesting that this is this is a kind of image that may come to haunt him. Uh, 
at some point in the future, particularly if he totally tanks over the next month and is uh, in the ash bin of Canadian political history. This will be wonderful uh, footage to kind of play while someone is recounting his decline uh, in politics. But I think it is a very effective visual in and of itself. Here's the problem is that the Liberals are trying to fight the Conservatives on the Conservatives' turf, on the economy. And that's really, really difficult, particularly when you have you know, a Liberal leader coming out saying, we're going to have three years of deficit. If you're trying to run to the left of the NDP, running on the economy <laughs> is interesting turf to have staked out. They have other strengths that they probably should be fighting the Conservatives and or the, the NDP on than this. So let's actually bring the NDP into this conversation now, because we talked a lot before about those ads suggesting that Justin Trudeau was not ready. The Conservatives have run a series of ads of people sitting around a boardroom discussing the leadership candidates as if they were job applicants. You've probably seen or heard a couple of them. The NDP actually did a little bit of a take on one of those ads. They did their own job application ad attacking the Conservatives. Here's what it sounds like. Stephen Harper, we've had a lot of complaints. Yeah, election fraud, bribery. Don't forget Mike Duffy. Says here he has the worst jobs record of any prime minister in decades. Isn't that what he's supposed to be good at? Mm Mm-mm, time to let him go. So, who do we get? Tom O'Care is ready. Been in cabinet, right priorities. Yeah, he's up for the job. Stephen Harper. It's time to let him go. Nice hair, though. <laughs> <laughs> that wins the Petty of the Year award. That, was, that last little shot was completely unnecessary, but I kind of liked it. That last shot about nice hair, though, is a reference to a conservative ad against Justin Trudeau where they dismiss Trudeau as a possible leader but say, well, nice hair, though. So that was the NDP taking a little shot back on the same lines. Jen, you first. What did you think when you saw this NDP ad? I love this ad and I hate this ad at the same time. Why? Okay, so here's the thing. It's clever. It's funny. I would really note the fact that Mulcair's team is taking shots at Stephen Harper and at no point do they mention Justin Trudeau there, even though the original ad that they are parroting was about Trudeau, which is kind of interesting. So it's very clever. It's pointed. I think that parody ads are super dangerous. And the reason why I think parody ads are super dangerous is, is goes to the conversation that we were having earlier about audience. We, those of us who are politically engaged, love this ad because it's a great little parody. And we've all seen the original Justin's Just Not Ready ad a million times now. So for us, it's playing on a language that we already have in our brains. But to the average voter who has maybe only really encountered the Justin Not Ready ad maybe once or twice, and maybe that didn't sink in, they're not going to get what this parody is referencing. But I think the parodies are really, really high risk, high reward, because if everybody understands what you are making fun of, they work really, really, really well. But if only a small segment of the population gets the joke, they fall really flat. And I think we all love this ad because we get the joke. Scott, do you think that the ad stands up on its own if you don't have the previous other ad for context? I think so. I mean, I think the parody comes just at the end. Uh, I think the rest of the ad sort of takes itself seriously. Um, and I, I don't think it's a kind of a strange uh, metaphor that people won't get uh, this sort of evaluating the performance of a job candidate. So, and the messages are there uh, that Mulcair is ready and, and there is an implicit kind of dig at 
uh, Trudeau there by saying that, you know, obviously he's not uh, as far as alternatives go. And, you know, the critiques of, of Harper are there as well. So I think the ad will be understood. Maybe some people will wonder why the hair reference at the end. I, I don't know. I mean, I've been saying on this podcast that Stephen Harper has Lego hair, but <laughs> right. he, he, he looks, looks like, like president business. He looks like Lego, man. I'm just saying. However, I do find it interesting in this ad that the attack is against Stephen Harper and then it kind of just pivots immediately to, well, Mulcair, he's ready. And there isn't even really an attempt to... to make the case. So, Scott, do you think that that's effective, that, you know, you can kind of slag your opponent and then it's just assumed that your person is the next best in line? I think most ads, what they're trying to do is not so much change people's beliefs about candidates, about their attributes, not so much about that as about just drawing people's attention to the sort of considerations that they want voters to be thinking about in the polling booth. And so I think it's effective on that level. It's mentioning experience. You've already you already think Tom Mulcair is a you know crown prosecutor in the House of Commons, and he, he's been in cabinet, albeit for a short period of time, and he's ready. So think about that when you're trying to decide which non-Harper candidate you want to endorse. There's one ad that I really want to play for you guys because I hated it so much. And that was the kids ad. Uh, um, yeah, everyone's like uh, wanting simultaneously. So here. bad. So I'm pretty sure listeners of the podcast are familiar with the, uh, the Nigel Wright Mike Duffy scandal. And what the ad is, is reading emails that were sent out by the PM's ex-chief of staff, Nigel Wright. And I'll just, I'll let you listen to it. Stephen Harper promised to clean up liberal scandals. Let's look at the record. Janice and I spoke on issue. She wanted it all enriched. I explained that was not happening. We aren't selling a car or settling a lawsuit here. How can we do that if someone thinks a crime has occurred. Can we have an internal agreement not to refer it to the RCMP? Have you had enough? It's time for change in Ottawa. I, I, I'm going to make a very counterintuitive argument. I'm going to explain why that ad is valuable. Go on. This is going to be interesting. I want to hear this. That ad is valuable because it explains perfectly. It encapsulates perfectly why very few people actually give a shit about the Nigel Wright Duffy scandal. If your scandal can't be explained by children, I'm sorry. It's just not going to gain traction among the electorate, <laughs> which is so cynical and awful. But I think it's probably true. The Nigel Wright emails are complicated. They require nuance. Trying to simplify it by getting kids to read it just makes it confusing and boggling. Trying to strip it of its context doesn't seem make it seem more scandalous. It just makes it confusing and bizarre. This ad should actually be a template for all future ads. If you can't get children to explain it, then you can't campaign on it. Very interesting insight. We've got one more clip that we want to play. And this one is an interesting attack ad. This is an attack ad by the Liberals against the NDP and specifically Tom Mulcair. There's been a lot of talk in this election about participation in the debates. All the leaders have been very cagey and noncommittal 
about wanting to commit to different leadership debates. Here is the Liberal Party criticizing Tom Mulcair uh, for, I think, very clearly, a hypocritical stance on debates. Debates would you like to see? I'm a big fan of debates, as you might have noticed. I enjoy the back and forth of of a lively debate. And frankly, if there was a leader's debate every week of the next election campaign, I'd be there front and center. Believe I'm the only um, leader of a recognized party in Parliament to have said that I'm willing to participate in a debate on women's issues. So this is a fascinating ad because it only uses things that Tom Mulcair himself has said. And in between each one of its statements, there is a flash on the screen of an article suggesting that Tom Mulcair is dodging another debate. Jen, what do you think of this ad that uses Tom Mulcair's own words against him and compares that to his record? I think of all the things that you could have used that tactic on, the debates thing was a, was a, was a stupid topic. I don't think most voters care whether or not um, Tom Mulcair is at a debate every other week. I actually think this is beyond inside interest stuff. Using Mulcair's flip-flops against him would be a very good tactic for the Liberals to use, but I think this particular topic was a bad one. I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I think flip-flopping, not good, but flip-flopping about something that people don't really care that much about, these sorts of process questions, it's water off a duck's back, I think, for the average voter. I think that if they were going to pick flip-flops, they should be going after his stances on pipelines, for example, or, or oil sands. He's, they should be targeting the fact that he says different things in English and French. Those are the types of things that will make him appear vulnerable. How do the parties actually get together and strategize when all three are basically tied? Who do you decide who to run your attack ad against? Um, I think with the conservatives, it's they have a couple of options. The best position for them to be in is if the Liberal Party and the NDP are fairly strong uh, by the end of the campaign. That's a strategy that will at least get them back to minority status after Election Day. And so what to do there? I mean, I think they want to attack Trudeau to some extent, but they want to also build him up and make him someone who's in the race. The same goes with Mulcair. I mean, Mulcair is not really threatening to steamroll over the other parties, so perhaps they don't need to spend a lot of money attacking him. I think it's interesting that they spend so much time on Trudeau, given that they don't want to hurt him too much because given the size of their base, they can't afford a really strong NDP. But then again, you know, in as much as they draw attention to Trudeau as a real alternative and an alternative to the NDP for the anti-Harper crowd, which is quite sizable, maybe it makes sense there. Jen, come in on that as far as the liberals and NDP are concerned, because In the minds of, I think, a lot of people, they are closer in policy and share a lot more of the same voters than any other combination of parties, but they're not really going after each other. Do you want to speak to that? I think that when you are looking at who decides to target what, when, where, and why, you have to think of the entire country as like an electoral chessboard. And you have to identify where your strengths are and and where your your very strong support is, identify where your weaknesses are and where you're likely to lose support, and then identify the the writings in the middle. And then through polling, you generally can identify what are the issues that your potential voters really care about, what are the vulnerabilities of your opponents in those particular areas, and then you allocate your resources accordingly. So in this case, what we have right now, generally speaking, 
is uh, Trudeau is fighting a bit of a war on two fronts. He's trying to prove to progressive voters that he is the progressive alternative in lieu of Thomas Mulcair. And he's also kind of trying to go after the conservative voters who are maybe disillusioned with the conservatives' records. So he's trying to play the center-right and the center-left at the same time. And he's trying to run left of the NDP while maintaining centrist red Tory respectability at the same time. This is a pretty perilous position for him to be in. And I think there's some real questions as to how many seats he can actually gain. Mulcair is almost almost completely ignoring Trudeau. I don't even think Mulcair mentions Trudeau by, by name. Mulcair is trying to stage this fight as a Mulcair versus conservative battle. Mulcair wants this to be a two-pronged attack. He does not want to be fighting a war on two fronts. So he has every incentive to basically pretend that Trudeau's not in, even in the picture, and it's him versus Harper. Harper's got a different fight altogether. Harper's got to maintain the gains he made in the last election, and he's got to try and prevent an orange wave, but at the same time, he's got to try and prevent disaffected voters from chipping off to Trudeau and, and the Liberals. He's playing a bit of a defensive game. You'll notice early in this race, it's very clear that they thought Trudeau was their threat because they obviously put a lot of their early resources into trying to malign Trudeau and make Trudeau look like he was this amateur, not ready, blah, 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 blah. And then as the NDP started to pick up steam, you almost get the sense that the Conservatives have been caught off guard by that because they don't really have the really damning syphilis kind of inoculation to take Mulcair out in the same way that they had with Trudeau. So I think they're actually playing a defensive game and I think they're playing some catch up here. I want to thank Jen Gerson in Calgary. I want to thank Scott Matthews in Newfoundland for joining us and engaging so thoroughly and passionately on this topic. Thank you to both of you. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys, that's the program for this week. Now, an update. We did tell you a few weeks back that we have been trying to get the federal leaders of the three major parties onto this program. Now, I want you to know that when we first put out the request that you email the party leaders, that you tweet and Facebook at them and tell them to come on this program, that was actually when we first started to hear back from some of their campaigns. Now, the outreach that you did helped us get some responses. So we want you to keep at it. There is still an opportunity to get these federal leaders on this program, and we want you to help us get there. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, and we really love it when you do, check us out on Twitter. If you search for Canada Land Commons, it will be the first result you find. Thanks very much to our producer, the spectacular Imogen Burchard. And of course, music credits go out to Nathan Burley. We are online at CanadaLandShow.com. Send us emails at Andre at CanadaLandShow.com and Desmond at CanadaLandShow.com. Hey, yo, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, do chip in Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Show us some love, tweet about the show, give us that wonderful five-star rating, and tell everybody you know. CanadaLand Shortcuts will be up on Thursday and the next episode of Commons will be up next Tuesday. Love you guys. Roll out. Do, do, do. Roll out. Do, do. Roll out. You's a superstar, boy. <laughs> Why are you still up in the hood?